0: And the thing you need to be good at as a manager is if you're going to hire someone onto your team, then you have to be okay with giving them some level of autonomy uh, because you think that they're, like if you've hired them, you think that this person is good. If you hire that person on the team and then you spend most of your time questioning the work they do and needing updates every couple of hours on what they're doing, then you've either hired the wrong person or you as a manager really need to figure out how to be okay with giving more autonomy to people on your team.
1: Hello 2020, and welcome to this year's first episode of Outside the Valley. The podcast where we interview remote startup leaders, remote work advocates, and thought leaders who thrive outside of Silicon Valley. These people share insight on what works and what doesn't, so you can learn to do it right. Outside the Valley is brought to you by Arc, the remote hiring platform that helps you to hire remote software engineers and teams easily. And I'm your host, Jovian Gautama. For our very first episode in 2020, we have Kieran Flanagan, the VP of Marketing at HubSpot and the host of the amazing growth marketing podcast, Growth TLDR. Now, in this episode, Kieran talked about how remote work had helped him in his career and his life in general why he thinks career opportunities should not be limited by geographical location, and one of the hardest parts of being a leader of a distributed team. Kieran also shares his insights on why remote hiring or hiring remotely is one of the best things that you can do for your company growth, how you can avoid too many processes in distributed teams, and the so-called goldfish face problem in remote meetings. Now, this is our first episode in 2020, and I promise you we will have more great guests coming on and share more insights, knowledge, and experience about uh, leading remote teams and remote work in general. So, um, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do consider leaving a review on iTunes. You can go to your iTunes and or Apple Podcasts and then search for Outside the Valley uh leave five stars if you really like the show and if you have any comments or feedback please email me at jovian at arc.dev it's jovian j-o-v-i-a-n at arc.tv also don't forget to follow us on twitter at arc.dev now without further ado let's go to our conversation with kieran flanagan here we go Hey, Kieran, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on. Yes, awesome. So, uh, Kiran, uh, just like I mentioned before the call, I'm super excited to talk to you today because you are one of the few um, people in the marketing field, uh, digital marketing and growth marketing field that is super passionate about remote work. Um, so, just to start a bit, can we go through... Uh, a quick history about, uh, your career and about your, you know, digital marketing career or growth marketing career and how you end up in HubSpot.
0: Yeah. So, um, my career, my background is actually in computer science. So mm-hmm. I was a software engineer, was not very good at being a software engineer. I transitioned to become a marketer uh, cause my brain is just better. Although when I first went into marketing, I really did a combination of like development and marketing So I did, I started in search which is a very can be a very technical role and so did that for some amount of time and then got into SaaS through working for salesforce went to work at salesforce marketo uh, fast forward to hubspot and i've done three things in hubspot which is how to grow the international business and then changed our roles within hubspot to help to grow our freemium business and then today the all of the teams uh, i, I managed a group of teams that generate HubSpot's demand across the globe. Helps to uh, generate all of the customers.
1: And how long have you been working um, remotely? Is it since the, um, even before HubSpot?
0: No, so like, I, I guess one good thing is, cause I've been thinking a lot about, I talk, like I talk a lot about remote, write about remote, post about remote. And one thing I would say is, what I'm more passionate about in the way I think about my role and the role of other people I work with is like distributed teams. And so what I mean by distributed is because when people think remote, they always think, hey, someone's sitting in their house and working from their home. And actually the thing that I am passionate about is like, you can be, that can be part of a distributed team, but actually teams who can be either in offices across the globe or fully remote. And so when you expand and uh, your company and start to build sub offices, that you can have groups of people across those offices who are all in the same team or they could be uh, fully remote at home. So for me, uh, I've kind of been, when I joined HubSpot's freemium group to grow out the marketing and growth engine for our freemium business, um, I was hired, uh, I changed roles to do that. I was meant to move (laughs) to Boston, could not move to Boston for personal reasons, and they said, okay, we'll try to make it work from Dublin, knowing that most of my group is gonna be based in uh, the States. I see. And so I was the only person in Dublin. At that time, there was three, I had a team of like five. It was very small because we had just started Freemium. And four of them were in, in the US. I was in Dublin and we kept on growing that to about 25 or 30 people. Um, and about three of us were in Dublin. Everyone else was in the States or other places. And then today there's about 55 to 60 people in my group and about five or six of them are in the same op- in the Dublin office. Everyone mm-hmm. else is spread out across the States, Berlin, France. And so the way I kind of structure my week is, I usually spend like three days at home and mm-hmm. I come into the Dublin office for, for two days.
1: Got it, yeah. Um, it resonates what, um, so I've talked to Andres Klinger, the head of remote at yep. Angelis, and he actually had a similar yeah. viewpoint uh, as uh, you mentioned, basically sees remote work as more of a spectrum. It doesn't have to be like 100% distributed. It doesn't have to be like 100% collocated, but there's um, there's that area in between. We actually at Arc is uh, also like hybrid team. So that's I think that's kind of a popular term nowadays. So um, most right. of us are collocated and uh, some of us are, um, you know, based in the other countries in the United States or Mexico or uh, Canada. Um, going back to about you, um, I saw this, I read this article where you mentioned a, a couple of times, I forget it's a couple of times or once, that remote work had helped you so much. Uh, can you share a bit more like how, you know, having this flexibility um, and working in remote settings helped you, it can be you know, career-wise or personal-wise?
0: Yeah so I will try to I have a I'm starting to, I'm trying to build like a little framework for for this this may not come out right because I only just thought of it in the bath last week <laughs> uh and I haven't like articulated it or shower thoughts yeah 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 shower thoughts so so I was trying to help my my people in my group and some other people outside of my group that I, I try to help on like how they should think about career right and if you think about your career <laughs> there's there's four pillars to your career which is basically um uh-huh. Your own ability, which most people think it's like all based upon their own ability, and it's actually not. It's like some some amount of your own ability, some amount of your ability to choose the right company to work for. A large part of your growth is actually dependent upon the person you work for, like directly your manager. Actually. I agree. Um, and then there's some amount of luck, which people don't like to talk about, but it's true. Because if I have very great, if I have really great ability, but I picked the wrong company and a bad manager. It doesn't really matter what I do, I'm stuck. If I have really great ability, I pick the right manager, but the company stagnates, right, doesn't grow, then I'm stuck because my manager is not going to move up, I'm not going to move up, and I don't have more opportunities. So there's the luck in that the company starts to grow. Your manager is a really great manager, so they have other opportunities and they can take it with them. And then that's four pillars, but traditionally there's been five, and the other big one has been location.
1: I see. Yeah, and
0: you have all of the, you have all of these great people that can do great work, but for one reason or the other, they can't move to San Francisco, Boston, New York, London, Berlin, or wherever the other me- like. That's primarily the the biggest kind of cities for tech. There's others in other industries and maybe other cities. And so, what I love about remote work is that I hate the fact that location has to be a, such a big component. Of what makes someone successful i like you should be able to be based in a city of your choice because you want to be close to your family or you have a partner that can't move or you have someone within your family who's sick and you want to be near them or in my case i couldn't move for a personal reason and i, and I couldn't go to boston so in another world where remote work was not possible or a hotspot were not a good enough company that they would allow me to try to build something really great from. Dublin, even though all of my team and the core company is based in the States, then I could not have done the, the freemium role. And the freemium role for me was huge opportunity, had a big impact on my career. I feel I'm a way better leader because of that role. And that's what I love about remote work, because it helps to reduce the reliance on opportunity for you to have a really great and successful career.
1: Uh, Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, It's actually the same premise that we have on Arc, right? As a software, uh, remote software uh, hiring platform, we actually have the same idea. It's, oh, we have these great software developers from around the world. They can be based in Asia, they can be based in Africa or Europe, um, and they are super skillful and almost like this so-called Silicon Valley uh, talent skillful, right? And I just like you mentioned like the fifth pillars, like we don't think it's fair that they are only restricted by the regional um, limitations of that because right. for the other the other pillars like in terms of ability, well, probably on luck they are not the same, but in terms of ability and knowledge they they are able to go out there. um so I want to move on a bit to remote leadership. um so Karen. You've been the VP of Marketing at HubSpot for how long yet?
0: Uh, since two thousand sixteen. Yeah, to start two thousand sixteen. Uh, before that, I was helping HubSpot to build. out so I was kind of like heading up international marketing. Mm-hmm. So um, for just about two and a half years, I kind of <laughs> helped to build out the international markets, and so did some did some amount of remote work. But actually, most of my team were based in the office in Dublin with me.
1: Got it. Um, so, so I want to ha- ask this question. I think a lot of people has different answers. Um, but in your own opinion, why is uh, leading a remote team especially hard? I know you've talked a couple of uh, times with other remote leaders uh, like Kevin Lee from Buffer or even uh, Nicholas Holland from your own company. But for you personally, why do you think the one thing or two things that make um, leading a remote team especially hard?
0: Uh, yeah, the hardest part is relationships, actually. Like if you're a leader, one of the core things to be a great leader is to care about your team beyond metrics, right? So if you're just a, hey, these are people and these people make my numbers go up or down and that's how I look at these people, then, you know, that shines through and it's not a great way to lead a team. And so you do want to care. You don't need to like go visit your Everyone in your team's house every single night, have dinner with them. But there needs to be some amount of empathy for the things that go on in those people's lives, understand a little bit about them beyond just the thing they're accountable to in work, which means basically just like you have to want to have a relationship beyond just the metrics or the things you're accountable to. The thing that's really difficult with remote is building relationships over Zoom. It's actually it's actually really hard, right? Like we as humans. Still, connect best when we are in person. When there's just no amount of awesome technology or online collaboration tools, I'm going can to take away the fact that we are in, in, like primarily people who like to build relationships um, with with other people that are in that are in the same place as us, and we can kind of connect with. And so that's why you see most of the best remote companies all have retreats. So they have these like quarterly retreats or retreats where everyone can get together. And they can actually get to know each other, or spend some time with each other. And so a big part of being a remote leader, I think, is definitely traveling to the places where your employees are. If you're a fully kind of distributed team and that you have no offices and you are all over the globe, then you're not going to go and visit everyone's house. So you are relying on on like these retreats. But I think that's the thing. I think it's one of the people you talked that I talked to about this and you just mentioned was Nicholas Holland who had some really great insights in this and calls calls that collecting gold coins and you store all these gold coins in your bank when you're building relationships with people. And that's how he sees his time with his team is like he collects those gold coins, which is build, which is like all of that stuff, He's, all of the good stuff in terms of building those relationships. And then you can use that throughout the next period of time where people are just connecting with each other over Zoom. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and by the way, we'll put the, um, your, interviews that i mentioned just now on the show notes so um everyone can check it out so um since you've been a remote leader for a while have you ever had the situation that you feel like uh, one of your team members oh this person are let me think how to phrase this uh he or she is somehow quote-unquote not used to work remotely later you know, like need more guidance in communication um my question is have you ever had that situation or uh the top spot or you um usually are able to mitigate this on the interview process
0: so we try not to distinguish between like being a good communicator if you're remote versus being a good communicator within office in that if you're within office or remote we expect you to be good at communication and it dependent upon there's a ton of different things that go into that like it's that's if you're a person that is very comfortable doing the role that you're doing and you are um what you really need is someone to remove blockers for you and just make sure that you're going down the correct path your communication style is very different from someone who's come into something is doing something quite you and needs a lot of help to get up to speed on the on, on the thing you're accountable to and then your communication style needs to be more proactive and asking a bunch of questions so i don't think we've ever had a case where we're like i've certainly never, never personally had a case where i'm like looking at this person's communication style and thinking oh well this is a you know a fa- this is the reason this is going wrong is because they're remote it's more i try to focus on like their communication style agnostic of being remote or in office how we can help them to communicate it in a way that's going to make them more successful. I do think when you're remote, there are some things that um, do matter. And um, I know Wade Foster from Zapier has talked about this a lot. I do do agree with him, which is you do have to be, there is some amount of like, uh, there is some amount of accountability on you to be proactive. Um, and I've always thought that, and actually Nicholas, again, who maybe is a good person to get on your show at some point, countered me and, and didn't agree with that. He's like, some people, if the remote, needs to be proactive. Other people don't, if they just know their shit and don't need help. Um, but I think the, what I mean by, I think what really matters in terms of being, what we mean by being proactive is it's easy to, to kind of forget there's other people, yeah. like, on your team and just, like, get into a place where you're not reaching out for help when you need to because you can't visibly see them. And mm-hmm. then the other thing I kind of do agree with is, like, you do need to be good at written communication because when you're in a remote team you're documenting a lot of more things a lot of your back and forth is through slack comments and docs mm-hmm. and so you don't need to be you know the best writer in the world but you need to have a good communication style via r- write-in and <clears throat> and even so we, we create a lot of videos through an app called loom yeah so there's you know getting good at those kind of tools does matter
1: yeah you mentioned that in our article I actually, I actually need to just stick all of this article and put it on the show notes Um, you mentioned that team structure. will have more impact on growth than uh, any marketing tactic. I Totally agree with this. Um, I'll give you an anecdote about my uh, my team for a while. So, um, my coworker worker um, Paul, he's in canada So he's joining us for like a year or two right now and on the interview, I asked him um like, why are you interested in this hiring space, right? And he gave me an answer I will never forget because I found it interesting because I'll never look at it that way because basically any problems that you have in your company, you can solve it by hiring, by having direct people. Doesn't mean it's going to be cheap, right? So, right. Um, so but that's kind of like almost on the ideal way, it's all cure for everything, assuming you're hiring, right? And your quotes here also remind me of that. It actually, when it comes to uh, growth team, I like that you also think it's about team structure will have more impact on growth. Um, my question would be can you elaborate more on this? For any examples or anecdotes from HubSpot that you feel um, the team structure or, or having remotely impact the growth directly? Yeah, yeah I
0: think when in a company of any size. There's two important things beyond all of the ta- marketing tactics sales tactic customer success support so you touched on the first one which is how do I hire ha- talent right and mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of things that can go into that that's a whole other podcast mm-hmm. but when you've got when you've got the talent uh, it doesn't it doesn't mean that they're guaranteed to be successful you can hire talented people and because you have set them up in an incorrect way and have not set them up for success then those people are going to fail and then that's going to just be a secular thing where you're like oh well we'll just hire another person because it's obviously a talent thing and it's actually because you have set these people up in your team structure in an incorrect way and so on the growth side of things that gets exasperated because when we're going into this kind of product-led model when we have these growth setups for the most part there's like cross-functional teams that there's teams that have to work cross-functionally that have traditionally not had to work so closely. Right. And so a good example for that is, like in a lot of product-led companies, freemium businesses, you have product, marketing, sales, engineering, all kind of own in mm-hmm. go-to-market. And so these teams are trying to figure out, you know, who owns what, how do we work together? And a lot of time gets wasted in reporting structure, right? I own this, but what tends to happen is, you have these people and teams who own metrics, and when you actually ask them, how do you hold yourself accountable to that metric? What are the things you can do to shift that number? They're reliant on these other teams who have a totally different metric, a totally different North Star. And so there's just friction because I'm asking the product team to do something for me. They have a totally different metric and are motivated by something different. The product team are asking marketing to create some stuff for them. They are motivated by a different metric that's way down their priorities. And so one of the most impactful things you can do is say, okay, if we are going to be successful over the next three, six, 12 months, and your timeline is really dependent upon the company size you are. Smaller companies have a shorter timeline, larger companies will have a larger timeline. But let's say I'm thinking, how do I be successful for the next six months? And I place the things that I need to do to be successful across those six months. And I think about who are the people that are accountable for this. And I have a collection of people, generally cross-functional in growth, and I'm there the people best place to move this metric. And I ask myself, okay, do these people fully own this metric? Or are they relying on other teams who are motivated by other things? And you try to solve those problems. And what you end up with is a pod of people. People call them spod, pod squads, whatever you want to call them, around a metric. And that team are fully accountable to that metric. They are not reliant on any other teams. So then you can hold them directly accountable and say, hey, are you hitting your number? If not, why not? And the answer they give you will not be, well, this person won't do this for me. This person won't do this for me. I can't do this because this person isn't going to do this for me. Their answer should be, oh, well, we thought this would work. This experiment would work and they're not working like we thought we would. And you can actually try to start to solve those things. And that's why I'm a huge, huge advocate for team structure, cross-team alignment, and making sure that you have the correct accountability uh, being a massive growth lever um, beyond all the kind of tactics, experiments, hacks you can run.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great answer. Um, I heard about the concept of squats before, but I think this is the first time I've heard it being explained so thoroughly. Like you mentioned, like you need to figure out um, the metrics of each squat and try to figure out um, how do you, from there, try to figure out how do you work with them and how do you structure the process around it. Amazing. Um... So in the remote teams and still related to team structure, right? Having a process is important, but in one of your articles, you also wrote that it's possible to create an excessive number of process, like the management FOMO kind of thing. How can we find a balance between um, this too much or too little process, just the right amount of balance in managing distributed or remote teams?
0: Yeah, I don't think there's a perfect answer to that because it's so kind of textual based on mm-hmm. how, how things work. I think the thing that you can, <clears throat> you don't, you want to have a very clear system of operation without making that system of operation the core part of someone's job. Um, and, and so like in a growth team, the core, like one of their core things of operation is documenting uh, experiments beforehand, and then document in the results in a central repository that other people can kind of learn from. Now there's like lots of other things that go on, but you can, there's just certain processes that certain teams need to have. Uh, you, but the, like if we kind of pull in that thread a little bit, the reason where a lot of teams over document things become too process driven. And I, I'm actually a big believer in processes super important, but why some teams become overly overly indexed in processes is because you have a manager or you have someone who's in charge of something and they don't trust their team. Mm. right? They're trying to make that team document everything, send them everything because they just don't trust that they're doing the things that they want them to do or that they just have a problem with letting go of responsibility. And the, and the thing you need to be good at as a manager is if you're gonna hire someone onto your team, then you have to be okay with giving them some level of autonomy uh, because you think that they're, like if you've hired them, you think that this person is good. If you hire that person on the team and then you spend most of your time questioning the work they do and needing updates every couple of hours on what they're doing, then you've either hired the wrong person or you as a manager really need to figure out how to be okay with giving more autonomy to people on your team.
1: I think the best practice is try to have a really good hiring process up front just to avoid this kind of uh, problems like in the middle, because when it's there, it's really hard to figure out, especially when you're remote. <laughs> like right. you can't see, you cannot just sit down with people um, on the same room. Um, you also wrote about the <laughs> goldfish face. I found this really hilarious. Um, I'll let you explain this about it. So what is the goldfish face?
0: Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that remote work is really good for is to, teach people how to communicate better regardless of if you're on or in a remote role or you go into office and i think one of the um i like one of the great things about spending some time remote is even if you decide to work in an office because that's the best environment for you you'll actually be a better communicator for having to work with people who are remote so the remote fish race is basically if you try to uh, think about this in, in, two, in two different worlds. On the, in a remote world, what that is, is like, when you are in a group, a team, and there's a group of people in an, in an office, and then you are a couple of people remote, what tends to be happening is you're like, like a goldfish constantly opening and closing your mouth, because you're trying to get into the conversation, and everyone is having the conversation in the room, and they're not paying attention to the screens. They're just in the zone, like they're chatting, they're getting some things done and they completely forget to like acknowledge the fact that there's people remote who are trying to participate in that meeting. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, that actually happens in the real world, regardless of being remote, because you actually have people who just have dominated, like just dominate conversations because just of the their communication style, it's very like domineering.
1: Dominant, right? yeah.
0: They, yeah, they're very dominant and within the room. And then you have other people who are not like that, but are just as intelligent, have just as good as ideas, but they're naturally just not that's not their communication style. And what we traditionally do is we just allow that to happen within the meeting, and the people who have very dominant communication styles overrun that meeting. And they, they leave thinking it's a great meeting. Everyone who kind of gravitates towards that communication style, they even think it's a great meeting. And then you have a small group of people who are trying to participate and feel like very undervalued. Yeah, And what remote teaches you is to try to, like, again, if you're a manager or you're holding a meeting, you're the person who instigated the meeting. Then part of your role is to be a facilitator, right? Part of your role is to say, "Hey, you know, such, do you have a? Would you like to? Uh, do you have a thought there? Do you have a question? Any ideas?" Trying to get all people involved in the discussion. And I think one of the things that remote work can help do is help make you more empathetic to different communication styles because they just become so much more visible because they're on a big screen and you can clearly see that these people are struggling to get into the conversation
1: yeah i agree so i talked to the uh, help scouts vp of engineering megan chinbrook a while ago it's funny that she mentioned that uh, remote work actually made her a better person because the exact same thing that you mentioned like you care about um the other parties more and okay how do you feel hurt or something like that and it kind of like transpires to her daily life um but i want to add on that though i think the goldfish face can, um, can be cured when it comes to like serious meeting. But I think one thing that is really hard is on a fun setting. Like a couple of times I tried to make crack a joke um, with uh, <laughs> some of them are co-located and some of them are on Zoom. And then the goldfish ha- face happened like, oh, what just happened? Now, this is really hard because if I repeat the joke, then it's not funny. So right. I think that's where the retreat, comes in play right this is where you um
0: right they get to know your personality they get to spend some time with you the other thing is like here's an interesting question for you because you obviously work remotely with people who Mm -hmm. are remote when people are presenting does everyone on the call mute their mic
1: that's actually a good question um we actually struggled with that a bit a while ago so um we we do that now we do that now so whenever Someone is presenting and everyone will be on zoom and then even though like five people in the same room like one people remote right and the five people will um open up their camera and then just uh just pretend that we are all in the different places but yep. it's still tricky because you know when in zoom if five people in the same place okay whose mic should be on now so it's kind so, of awkward
0: and he, and so he, and so that's the typical like we would, we would have always said, hey, you need, to remote, you need to mute your mic and it's good practice to mute your mic. And that's basically what well, everyone uh, who is talking about remote work, that's the advice they will give. There's an, there's an opposing view to that that I have, which is how horrible is it to present to people with their mics off? Because to your point on the joke side of things, right, you're trying to make a joke. It's hard set in and everyone is just like stone faced because they haven't heard you properly. They don't know you that well. Maybe they have not spend time with you. How bad is it when you're presenting to like 10 people and nine of them have the mics off and you're trying to do a presentation, have some fun oh stuff in there? You can, you, you can hear no feedback at all because everyone has muted their mic and they're doing the right thing because they don't want to interrupt someone. But it's not a, it's not a you know, it's a very alien environment to have present to people who have this complete silence or not even like, you going, oh yeah, that's a good idea or giving you any kind of like little nudges of like encouragement. And so you have to really be, you have to be thoughtful about those things. I've started to, I think you should mute your mic if you're in a noisy location, but for the most part, I actually prefer people start to, I've started to prefer my team and group unmute themselves so we can give people who are are presenting some, some like noises of encouragement, laugh to their jokes if there's jokes in the presentation. Um, And so I think there's, there's just like all those nuances when you're remote that you have to kind of think about.
1: So in terms of communication procedure between remote teams, right? Yep. Um, some teams, uh, they prefer to work asynchronously, which means they, ideally, you don't need to uh, have any meetings or overlap. You, you use app like Twist or Basecam or that optimize right. instead of Slack. Um, but like for... Companies like Balsamic, for example, they have this golden hour where ideally most of the company like one hour where they just synchronously and they just have meetings. So we have a
0: variety of there's just a variety of different things because there's so many people. Mm. Um, like yeah. we have we have periods of time where people overlap and have meetings. We definitely have meetings. Um, there's like definitely people in my group are very anti-meetings, and I have to force them to have meetings sometimes. Uh, but we 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 do a bunch of different things to be honest. Uh, we mm-hmm. we work. Uh, p- Depends on where people are based. Um, they can have very little time where they overlap, so they're using Airtable and different tools to okay. plan their projects and leaving each other messages. Um, but I think every every group, for the most part, will have some period of time where they uh, there's overlapping uh, hours where they can kind of work together, have some meetings, have some real life chat. It's really hard to I I've been I've talked to people who've been in this position. I was in it for a little bit at a at uh, a previous company when i was dublin and, and that company was west coast it's i think it's really hard to be productive if you have no hours that overlap with each other or it's just it makes work a lot more complicated if you have no periods of time that overlap with each other and everything is being done opposite and uh, you know you you have your day at work you do your stuff and then you hand that on to the next person and they're trying to pick it up um i think that that can be a little bit tricky.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the next level on that is our situation where most of them are North America and Asia. Like, almost, if you go with the East Coast, like, 12 hours different. Right. Right, that's so tricky. that's, like, next level shit. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so let's go to the team culture thing. Any particular things that you do or HubSpot do to maintain and improve the um, culture for most teams? You know, both fun stuff, serious stuff uh yeah there's others
0: so maybe i'm not the most fun because i don't always know all the things that are going on for remote employees they have (laughs) um we have like specific slack channels where you can hang out and talk about um just like talk about the latest tv shows talk about anything you want that's outside of work like trying to recreate that water cooler feel where you're talking about the latest show or the latest sports game or something
1: And, and so we have the we Yep. Sorry, and who initiate this conversation? Is there any some kind of like people ops, or is mostly like the group leader?
0: I think it's a variety, but we have a really great people ops team that are very invested in remote work and are That's consistently awesome. trying to yeah making our consistently trying to make the environment and culture better for remote workers. And I, I think they do an incredible job. And so they set up a lot of these things. They're very thoughtful about how to ensure that remote work feels workers feel like a, an included um, inclusive uh, environment for people who work remotely so then the, we have like kind of all the things you would typically see in a distributed company where we have those fun slack channels we have the donut app that oh, allows yeah. you to yeah everyone uses that app teams do their own thing teams also do their own things like to be honest with you like one of my teams that's fully remote um like i, I was on my first ever baby shower I attended for one of my team members and everyone was remote and they do coffee like remote coffees remote lunches there's always things going on um, across the different teams so we are we have a people ops team that are very thoughtful about how to build a good culture for remote employees and then the remote managers and leaders are very very thoughtful about how to build a really great environment for their team and team members who are remote, because we just see it as such a, uh, an important part of our future growth.
1: That's amazing. Um, so I think there is some, uh, I saw on Twitter the other day, there's this notion saying that like in the future, there'll be um, a title called the VP of remote or something like that. That's basically just help, you know, working on the process for remote teams, the culture and whatnot. Uh, yeah, Who knows? I
0: th- yeah i think there could be someone uh, it depends like oh who who knows what what you made up titles it will be but i think <laughs> primarily in companies in companies your people ops team or the team who are accountable to culture it's part of how they build the culture
1: mm-hmm. true um so i want to move on on the hiring process a little bit. so we don't need to touch off them but um I know, as a remote leader, you when you're hiring, you put a a lot of emphasis on this particular hire to be is having a self starter characteristic, right? Um, Just curious, like when on the interview process, what kind of questions or what kind of project that you kind of use to evaluate if this uh, person is a self starter or not.
0: Yeah, just to I guess to be maybe maybe to come back to that because I don't know if I was uh, overly clear. I think that being a self-starter helps you both in office and remote. I think it. Oh yeah. Remote. Yeah. What remote? Remote. Uh, i I'm, I'm. I think I'm more talked about proactive around communication and that remote. Sometimes you can get into your bubble and and forget that you have a team there that can help you. Mm-hmm. That's just like learning that you need to be cool at reaching out to people on Slack, setting up meetings in Zoom. We do not, we do not like go, Hey, you know, how does, you know, we don't have a set of characteristics that are remote, a set of characteristics that are in, in office. So we don't look to see if this person like is a self starter and remote. And then we don't care that they're not a self starter if they're in the office. So we don't really distinguish between someone we're hiring remote and someone we're hiring in the office. Mm -hmm. We look for, is this person going to be great at their role? Like all the different things that we want to have in someone who works within HubSpot. Mm-hmm. And then we don't really give too much talk to, like, you're going to be remote or in office. Right. I think right. it, it's really, uh, it helps if you've had some experience remote, just because if you haven't worked remote before, it could just be a big, uh, it could be a difficult transition for you. You only, right. only ever work in office. But, um, we don't like overly distinguish between those two things.
1: So basically it seems like, let's say no matter if, in HubSpot, right? No matter if you're remote or non-remote, you are basically just looking for somebody that is just proactive and just, um, just to be good at their role. Right? Um, is there any particular stage in your hiring process? It can be for the growth of marketing that you kind of evaluate how proactive this person is. So uh, I'll give you an example for our company. For the, when we are hiring a new engineer, there is this uh, take-home project, right? And we also yep. evaluate like what questions they ask on the private Slack channel stuff like that? Do you yep. have like similar uh, process? Yeah, we, um, again, each role have, each department, each role,
0: each team will have its own ways to tease these things out. But things that we do are we have certain roles. We have exercises that you can bring home and then you can see the amount of work that someone has added to that exercise and how proactive they have been to get some of that information. We don't want you spending weeks on doing something. That's part of the interview process. Yeah. Um, but we do want to, shift. you know, it doesn't matter that you've kind of been proactive and, and really done a good job there. Um, we will ask, like, you, a good question to ask in terms of discovering someone how proactive they are is like, tell me the last problem you had to solve within your company and how did you go about solving that? And you can see how many layers deep they went in trying to discover what that problem was versus, like, oh, I just handed it off to an engineer versus, oh, I read these three blog posts, discovered this thing, then went to this person and then figured this thing out. And then, like, you can kind of like start to tease that out so we try to we try to, to to for the most part test for all of the characteristics that would make you successful in a role all right it's awesome. not just being proactive it's like across a wide spectrum of different things
1: mm-hmm. fantastic um so let's say i am a you know i am a company that kind of want to start um hiring remotely it can be for you know, for growth roles marketing roles probably just because um you know, time zone issues. for example, if you're based in Europe and want to hire some marketing role or sales role in the U.S., and let's say this is my first time um, hiring a remote team member who are not in my office, um, what things do you think I should figure out first and foremost before I go about hiring someone abroad?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, their success for the most part is largely dependent upon you and the people in the office versus them. What I mean by that is like, obviously, some of their success is still dependent upon them. Mm -hmm. But if you're employee, number one, there's only so much you can do to integrate yourself into the team and the culture and the company. Most of it is dependent upon the team, the culture and the company. Mm -hmm. And so you want to make sure that you're committed to having a really great experience for whoever you hire, which means like even trying to think of the trying to think of some of those things, which is, hey, when we have a team-wide meeting with this person, are we all going to be on Zoom or a bunch of us in the office and that person is the only person in Zoom? Do we, like, just making sure that you are, have some principles to make sure that you've created a good experience for anyone who works remote with your team, um, with the company, within the company. That's the things I would focus on. And then you can kind of go out and make sure we hire this person. Their success is not going to be, inhibited or uh, they're not going to fail in the role because we haven't set up the right environment for them to be successful.
1: Yeah, I love that answer because um, I have this hypothesis that actually if you are a co-located company and going remote is actually will force you to get your shit together in terms of internal processes, documentation and yeah. whatnot. Because exactly. yeah, before, we, you're probably kind of messy, you know, scrappy uh, entrepreneur, like, Ten twenty team company where everyone knows where we are now and everyone just you know messages on slack or just verbally But when you hire remotely, it kind of Makes push you to get your things together, you know the culture and then how to uh, Documentation and whatnot. So I really love your answer on that Since you are on the VP of mark on the marketing team, right? I think a lot of times when here in market space with great companies like HubSpot, a lot of times where you can just, um, you just need to be creative, like something out of left field, something that's never been done before. How do you guys go about finding or brainstorming creative ideas?
0: So I don't think I have a great answer because a lot of our best ideas have just come from people having ideas and then running small minimal viable tests and trying to figure out if they're correct or not a lot of our best ideas come from customer research most of them come from customer research i think staying close to your customers or where your best ideas come from um uh, and then a lot of it just comes from like understanding the segment and the audience that you are trying to attract attention from um and so every team has like their own way to approach how they come up with you know these creative ideas for me it's more about what you do after you have the idea that's an important thing i think we all have air and trellos and different documentations with countless amount of ideas mm-hmm. the thing is how you turn an idea into a minimal viable uh, version of that idea so you can get some amount of feedback before you invest too mm-hmm. much effort and resources in it
1: yeah just because i think it's kind of true to the hotspot culture as i know like you know customer-centric you guys even have this uh service hub right for yeah. um you know working with uh customer success and trying to call trying to talk customers and whatnot. So yeah. Um so yeah um I think our time is almost up there. I won't take your um time more. So Kieran how can people find you online?
0: Uh yeah so at Twitter uh on at Twitter handle search brat um on LinkedIn you can connect with me and you can listen along to the growth TLDR podcast if you're interested.
1: Mm, Yeah. So I'll recommend um, everyone to listen to Kieran's podcast at Growth TLDR, especially if you're you're an entrepreneur, you work at the growth team or marketing team. It's super amazing. And yeah, uh, have a listen. So Kieran, thank you so much for your time today. I learned a lot. Fantastic conversation. Right. Thank Thank you. And that's it for another episode of Outside the Valley brought to you by ARC. We created this podcast with the hope that in each episode, you can learn something new from other remote startup people. So if you have any feedback or suggestions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at jovian at arc.dev. It's J-O-V-I-A-N at A-R-C dot Or you can find us on Twitter at arc.dev See you next week with another episode of Outside the Valley And ciao